Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We're talking today with Anthony Maluski. Thanks for having me back again. Yeah, it's good to have you. We had a good chat last time. Yeah, that was great. Uh, no, a few things have happened. Yeah, a one or two. One or two. <laughs> so why don't, you, why don't you tell everyone what's happened? Yeah, no, look, since, since we were last in here, um, Paula Investments has uh, you know, made, a, made a bid for the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, with, that, uh, with that bid, there's a Spinco that mm-hmm. will spin out some of the nickel assets into a public company, Nickel 28. And uh, you know it's really kind of unexpected. Twenty eighth on the periodic table. Yes, exactly. Right? Really cobalt twenty seven. Really clever. Right? So yeah. what, what does that okay. mean for copper in the future? Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting time. A lot going on corporately. Mm. Uh, as as um, you know, the circular is prepared in the coming weeks. Ultimately, the circular prints. I think in you know probably call it three weeks, and then the shareholders right. vote. You know, probably mid to late August. Okay, well, we should get together around that time so you can sort yeah, of get into the detail. That'll be fantastic. So, why don't we kind of, kind of keep it broad? You, you did offer last time we spoke to kind of educate us about the marketplace. So, why don't we start with Cobalt? Obviously, it's had a bit of pressure on it recently. So, what's been going on? Yeah, so, so Cobalt, you know, a year ago is $44. Today, it's probably $13.50 to $14. Right. You know, I, I think the outlook for Cobalt, in my view of the outlook mm. for Cobalt, is it hasn't changed. I mean, incredibly bullish. Uh, timing, of course, can change, right? And, mm-hmm. and so um, I think you know there's a couple key factors that have impacted the cobalt price. Uh, one of those is simply the DRC in Congo. And right. what's happening know, there? Well, what we saw was artisanal miners, which is literally someone showing up with a shovel. Very hard to control last week. Glencore, and and tra- yeah. tragically, yeah. 36 illegal miners died. So, yeah. uh, so artisanal miners effectively are just digging up the, the material. Uh, for their for their own kind of account, and then they. But remind it. us why you think that's not necessarily a good thing. So obviously they're looking after their livelihood, but what are the what's the impact? Just remind well, us. Well, there's there's a few kind of aspects of that. Mm. One is simply health and safety. If you go dig a hole and it's mm. not engineered, it can collapse. So so that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, another part is just environmental damage. You know, when you don't have a feasibility study, when you haven't properly engineered it, mm. you can cause uh, you know significant environmental harm. And then I think the third and the one which has gotten the most attention is of course child labor right. and, and it, we need to be clear not all artisanal mining is child labor those are two sure. separate issues but all mm. three of those are key issues and so what we saw was when cobalt ramped up into the 40s mm-hmm. a wave kind of tsunami of cobalt came on now what we've seen on the way back down is that cobalt that incremental artisanal producer really dies out of the market uh probably in the high 20s right and so, you know, kind of around $29. So right now, artisanal mining has really slowed down uh, compared to the peak at 40, mm. $44. Mm. But you, you have pretty significant amount of material um, from that kind of period right, right. Um, that's not able to be consumed yet just because of one origin, but two, um, the market's not there for it. And then I think you, have, you had deleveraging in, in China. What that means is consumers of materials for your, for your uh, investor, or excuse me, for your listeners, consumers will carry a stockpile and then they'll borrow against that for working capital. Mm-hmm. And you know, if for whatever reason, like interest rates hike or something like that happens, mm. they'll reduce their stockpile uh, to help manage their working capital. So you had you know, deleveraging in China mm. and the artisanal material. And what you've really done is uh, created a situation where there's a surplus in the market temporarily. Right. So by deleveraging, just to help everyone with the terminology here, you mean the Chinese running down their stock 
that what do they see that well, we should well, know about? Yeah, no, I mean, I think what you, what the read through was just the cost of capital. So this right. is very much, you're a business yeah. and you're borrowing against your stockpile and there's a cost of that borrow, whether it's 2% or 7% or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? And you, that's just part of your working capital. And so deleveraging in this context means they're reducing the amount that they have borrowed. Right. And, 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 then, and then a corollary to that is a margin call. So at $44, the amount you can borrow against this right. is one thing. At, okay. at 14 it's another. So it's really, we're talking about managing capital structures. So that, that put a, a whack of material into the market. And then I think really, and most importantly, Congo put a whack of material. And then, mm. of course, the final factor would be uh, you know, new mine ramp up and, and increased output. Right, and so, okay, the, the, quite a few moving parts there, but in terms of the total size of the market, what, what, how much does China DLC represent? Yeah, so, so uh, the official market today is around 110,000 metric tons. Is there an unofficial market? Well, I, you know, I would say that the Congolese material that's, that's artisanally produced right. is, is definitely unofficial. Right. So I would say the consumed unofficial market, and, and no one knows for sure. I mean, you right. can look at export data, right. but, but it's probably not that accurate. Right. Is at least another twenty to 30,000 metric tons. Right. Uh, however, the amount produced in that run-up period could have been, and, and most likely was, materially higher than that. Mm. And so it's interesting because actually if, if I had sat here with you uh, and, and projected EV, EV demand today, at the time of the IPO, what I would tell you is we were wildly wrong. We were too conservative. So the demand has actually outpaced any, any right. analyst expectations. It's just that um, on the supply side, yeah. there's been some bumps that, that probably mean that you know cobalt is less interesting for the next three years. Although ultimately the demand side is intact and more bullish than we've ever seen. So that, I mean, that's gonna be quite scary. So you're saying we were wrong, but in a good way, yeah, on the demand side, yeah, we, we right. underestimated demand. That's true. Yeah, but you know, so we, we, let's do that. Let's, let's go back a couple of years. You're saying, right, we're, we're doing our projections. Cobalt is a thing. And I remember these conversations from brokers. They were like, have, have you got anything in cobalt in Africa? So I've done a lot of work there. And that was the big thing two, three years ago. And you must have been having the same sorts of conversations then. And you think cobalt, battery market, correlation from and nickel, huge correlation. This has got to be a good thing, right? But obviously, the market's come down, it's gone from 40 bucks down, and you're saying that's entirely due to Chinese DRC actions, things you couldn't predict. Well, I mean, there's also an element of like um, legality, right? You know, right. the material, the material, in particular material, like the child labor conflict material in Congo, it's a very complex issue, right? Sure. For instance, your refinery in China, you know, even if nine out of 10 of your sources are legitimate, if the 10th one isn't, and you've just commingled all the material, mm. like, you know, atoms are atoms and it's all mixed now. And so um, I think that what I thought mm. on the front side was that um, ultimately automakers, but also really consumers yeah. and battery makers would demand a higher level of, of kind of transparency in that supply yeah. chain. And it's yeah. definitely started to happen. Right. But, but I think the lack of supply chain transparency allowed for a huge amount of artisanal production to come into the market. Now, there's been so much fuss. There's been a great Wall Street Journal article six months ago, and the FT's mm. done some work on it. And I think they've kind of brought this issue to light. And, you know, there are a bunch of different groups working on ways of maybe using blockchain or like a Kimberly yeah. process, but that hasn't happened. And so I think the lack of that process allowed for a huge amount of artisanal to come into the market that was not anticipated because I don't, I don't think most people really believed that 
like their phone, cobalt on their phone may have been done yeah. up by a nine-year-old boy. I mean, this is pretty tragic. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, those things are driven by a number of factors. You know, someone's got to pay for the building of an AI or blockchain solution to be able to do this tracking. Is it necessarily in each of the relevant companies' interest or the industry's interest to do that? Because that's another overhead in a time where it was quite tough, right? It's also, and I think we touched upon this on the last time we spoke here, is there's these things are driven by, in other sectors, these sort of, uh, whether it be environmental or, or otherwise, issues are driven by marketing initiatives and go, well, this is a point of differentiation for us. So the auto, automotive industry would need to push this harder. The Chinese would need to push this harder. Yeah, and push diamonds the, is the example, right? With absolutely. With, with you know, diamonds, and also tin is another example of that. It has, yeah, it has been, yeah. yeah. So, you know, what's got to happen? What's got to give in this space? Because it's a big issue. You, you know, it's one of the first things. Well, look, I think about. one of the issues was the automakers said, oh, this isn't our problem. This is really the battery maker's problem, right? I think that was initially the case. Mm. And so, Ultimately, the consumer, with all the, the reports and media, I think is saying that, guys, this needs to be, um, custody needs to be able to be shown all the way back to the yeah. line. Uh, so I think the consumer is now driving that, and the automakers are kind of unable to just throw their hands up and say, well, it's not us. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you are starting to see some of that accountability flow all the way through, but I don't, I don't think, I think it's such an esoteric thing, including yes. lithium, but different issues. These, yes. these are industrial materials that the automakers, by and large, had not used historically, at least not in large quantities, right. unlike, say, copper or aluminum. And so I think they didn't know what they didn't know. Well, uh, it's a, okay. And so there, there was, that was part of the learning curve, and all these yeah. factors which were hard to foresee yeah. created a scenario now where um, the market's probably quiet for a few years, right? Yeah, because I, I, I look at another space, okay, plastics, recycling of plastics. Okay, huge push from the uh, public, uh, lots of PR around it. So David Attenborough talking about it at the um, Economic Forum recently. I was listening to an article the other day about the UK. We ship a lot of plastic over to Turkey to be recycled. Okay, so forget the carbon footprint issue there. Um, it gets to Turkey, only 30% of it gets recycled, the rest of it's landfill. <laughs> We've just moved the problem because of what you're saying. There's no tracking, there's no accountability, but the public feels there is. They're filling up their recycling bins with great pride, but there's no accountability in terms or visibility of seeing where, where that goes or what happens, and therefore no one cares. No, I think look, it's a great observation, and I would just say um, the, whole, the whole Green Revolution is intensely complex. It is. And, 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 you know, displacing coal is great and, and we're yeah. doing that. But you also have to think, okay, what are the implications of whatever the other things are that we're mining and what are the products we're making and can you recycle them? So it's intensely complex in, in a world with uh, regulatory environments in every single country. Mm -hmm. uh, so look, ho hopefully the you know, WTO and some of these global organizations mm -hmm. are working on initiatives that can actually be implemented. Mm -hmm. But I, I actually think that's why the consumer hopefully puts out the demand because old, you know, if the consumer buys the car, yeah. they're voting with their, their pocketbook and that would be the most effective way. And so I think the way that the consumer does that is, is through, you know, and like I said, there's a guy uh, at the Wall Street Journal has covered this really well. By making that information available to consumers, I think that they're ultimately 
voting mm. with you know their pocketbook and if, if they're not prepared to buy a car because the the basic materials custody isn't shown then that's a plus so on a practical level that's why i think it can kind of manifest yeah. itself yeah okay but i i would argue with the with the plastic example they're voting with their pockets to a point and then it gets gray yeah very gray conversation for another day yeah no, it's, it's 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 a good observation like it's not perfect yeah. uh and, and um you know, we have a hundred years now of, of carbonization, right. of, of intense carbonization yeah. around the world. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't take a hundred to decarbonize. Otherwise, you might find that our great-grandchildren don't have a place to live. But, but I do, I do yeah. think that, um, yeah. that, that these are intensely complex issues. But the technological advancements are happening at an accelerated pace. Right. And, and the battery revolution that's happening in stationary storage as well is, yeah. is changing the economics of renewable energy, and so I think it's all positive. Mm. But there are definitely going to be speed dumps, and um, we shouldn't forget that some of these industrial minerals are coming from tough places, mm. and we should examine how they're being mined. Yeah. Uh, in the case, by the way, to be clear, in the mm. case of like a Glencore or these more mechanized mines, I think it's you know it's pretty transparent how that that's happening. I think mm. it's and it's it's okay. I think where it's more complex is in a poor country like the Congo, mm. you know, artisanal mining is not universally illegal. You know, that yep. should be, there are artisanal mining claims. And so it's breaking down that issue into the sub issues around child labor and environmental and, and permitting mm. that's complex and maybe, you know, beyond the reach of uh, someone who's casually thinking about buying a car. Right. You're one of the smartest guys I've interviewed. Okay. You're a bright guy. If we look at you, look back to two years ago, what would you have done differently then? What would you have demanded of the companies that you invested in back then, which may have you know, changed the, because we've all got a role to play in this, okay? The, you know, the public has got a role to play in it, but you, you know, you, you're one of the guys at the front of, front of this. You're in the so, so space, we, right? We, I mean, we, we definitively did not invest a single penny and haven't invested a single penny in the Congo. Right, and, so that's one thing, And, and, and right? that, I think that's the key, that was really- Yeah, that's a big thing. That was the big thing because, um, you know, if you look at the trouble that Glencore's had, and that's a, a big cap, major company, yeah. the feeling was always like, well, how are we gonna do it if they can't yeah. do it? So, uh, so that's avoidance, um, like, uh, of my sin, question, like, like it's a sin, <laughs> no, it's a sin, of, it's a sin of omission versus a sin of commission. Right. 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 Um, what, 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 you know, what, what would you do differently, uh, without being able to predict the price? Sure. Of course not. You know, maybe either one of the ways would have been to get involved at the very beginning and bring to the forefront that artisanal issue Yeah. such that, that be a voice, be a voice in that, right. because I think then you know, maybe the demand for that material wouldn't have been there, and so you wouldn't have had as much of it come into the market. Yep. And, you know, to think you would have stopped it is impossible. Of course. But but at least if if you had the battery makers, the Umicores, the Panasonics, and the te- saying from the outset, like we don't want that material, mm. we don't care how it comes to us, we don't. If you had that from the beginning, um, you know, maybe what would have happened was less material would have come out of the Congo, but. It's it's really it's really hard to say because you know the, the flip side of this is you're an individual you don't have a livelihood mm-hmm. and um, someone presents you with the way to make uh, you know whatever the number I don't know if it's twenty bucks whatever whatever yep. that number is a month yep. um, and that's your only livelihood like it's pretty darn hard to turn that down of course and so that's why this is, these are intensely 
complex kind of. No, I get it. Um, and I don't think you know one one person fixes it all, but you know it's a case of we all have a role to play. So you know people yeah. like you more more than most. Um, so okay, you can't predict the future, yeah. but you can learn from the past. So. You're obviously getting into a new venture. We'll talk about that in a few weeks' time. You know, in terms of the, what that structure is and what it looks like. You know, are there things that you've learned? You know, I said you're smart, but are there things you've learned in the last two years which you think, well, I'm going to look at the market differently. I'm going to look at my company differently. You know, I think. Look, I think there are there are interesting things to take away from it, which is, um, you know, in in a commodity like a nickel or a copper where mm. it's a much bigger commodity mm. I think you have more efficient pricing mechanisms yeah right and just with more liquidity I think the market is more efficient and you know in in a cobalt but not just a cobalt in a lot of smaller yeah. more thinly traded um, yeah. metals it's it's more complex that pricing that well, pricing like, dynamic well I've been interviewing a few uranium people who definitely agree with you on that one but there are many there are many <laughs> right right, right? I mean, and so I think I think um and I think one of the interesting things that I observed is even like the difference between cobalt and lithium. Mm -hmm. So if you look at globally, I mean, there are how many lithium projects out there that are interesting? There are plenty. Mm -hmm. And consequently, there's enough market cap spread among a variety of players yep. to allow for proper analyst education. Right. And, and for a sell-side community to really fully understand lithium uh, or to really understand it at at least a pretty high level, like they, they, they get the pricing and then it's industrial and it's a chemical like and hard rock versus mm. so they sort of have that. Mm. When you look at cobalt, there's no one else out there because because actually there's no such thing as a primary cobalt mine, uh, with the exception of of Manajim in Morocco. Mm -hmm. And so what you're really talking about with cobalt is nickel mining globally or copper mining. Mm -hmm. And what that means is even though we have a lot of analyst coverage. Uh, it's very challenging for an analyst to be fully abreast yeah. of the changes yeah. because they're not covering seven copper companies. Mm -hmm. And with that comes challenges around misinformation. And it, it comes challenges around ultimately where the equity price is because mm -hmm. um, buyers don't necessarily have the best information because it's not like, let's just take copper or mm -hmm. even lithium where I think you have a lot of different data points. Mm -hmm. And that makes it a little bit easier to come to a more educated view. Whereas with, with Cobalt, for instance, to get one of the main pricing sources, you have to pay. Yeah. And if, if you just own you know, $10,000 of the stock, like you're not going to buy the no. service, right? So, yeah. so there's, there's that, that kind of dynamic, which is kind of an interesting... Um, that's too interesting. But what about you? What, what, that, that's the market. The question was... What do you think you've taken away from the market? Well, the point, is, the point is I think that there is value in liquidity. Right. Okay. Like that's really the message, right? Okay. And nickel, I think one of the interesting aspects of nickel 28 will be that, um, you know, as chemistries shift, they shift towards a more nickel-rich battery, mm -hmm. right? Like it started off... Yeah, tell us about that because you did mention it last time in terms of the, the construct and, the, and the, the different inputs there. So it's going to... Well, so what's happening migrate. is like the original chemistry was like one, one, one. Save it for Tesla, which is kind of a different story. But mm. you know, and today it's a five three two, moving to a six two two and an eight one one. Right. Like a more. What are people looking for? Why? Why, why is this? So, so the, the, the driver, yeah, the driver of the change is simple. It's consumers because consumers are demanding two things: mm -hmm. range mm -hmm. and uh, rechargeability. Yeah. And so those chemistries are attempting to maximize energy density for mm -hmm. range mm -hmm. and recharging efficiency. And so, and, ulti and ultimately, like as you shift into these nickel-rich batteries, uh, what they're trying to do is have a, 
a car that can go as far or further than current cars, and that, yeah. that's really a size of the battery. Size of the battery also equates to cost, more basic materials yeah. you have. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, right now what they're trying to do is get rechargeability down to be something more akin to a, a gas station stop. You know, getting that into that sub-15 right. minute level yeah. would be a big coup. Supercharge, right. Or, and maybe that's not possible. I mean, they're, they're looking at other solutions. Uh, in Israel right now, there's a stretch of highway where they're actually, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the charging is yeah. as you go. So yeah. there, there's different ideas and different yeah. solutions. But back to nickel 28, what is interesting about the liquidity aspect is nickel and cobalt are you know kind of intertwined right mm -hmm. globally mm -hmm. and so what you see in nickel 28 is exposure to the producing mine mm -hmm. and you also still you still retain some cobalt exposure mm -hmm. but you have the potential i think for a much bigger story in nickel when the nickel moment comes right and, and that, right. that comes as as you see not only the ramp up in in purchase of electric vehicles but also that nickel rich cathode kind of well, that's what I'm asking. So, if, you know, because we looked two years back, you, you had a view on the cobalt market, which is true at the time. Which is still the true, by the way. Right. Like everything yeah, yeah. Is, is true. It's outperformed in something, but things have affected the price. You know, you think yeah. of it from the investor's point of view, it's like, you know, the price is 40 bucks, it's now a third of that, and you can't predict these things because, like you say, anyway, you, the demand has outstripped even your expectations, but the market got hit. So what are, what are the learning, you're going to the nickel market now, right? So yeah. you're making your call today based on the data that's available and there's a changing battery. And Nickel's at the bottom, by the way. Like, sure, like, sure. This is, this, is, yeah. this is the moment for nickel. This is the moment, okay, this is the moment for nickel. So tell us, tell us about some of the, the hypothesis or the, yeah, the thesis sure. behind that. So nickel's kind of a 2.2 million ton market uh, mm -hmm. with, I would say, over 70% today going into steel. It's a steel market, right? Yeah. But that market is really two markets. You can kind of cut that market in half, mm -hmm. uh, with with half of it really being like kind of an NPI, a mm -hmm. nickel pig iron product, and the other half being a, a class one nickel that goes into things like batteries. Yeah. And and what the kind of really critical thing for 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 listeners is that um, the crossover price to create class one nickel from MPI is probably double nickel's price today. Right. So there's lots of nickel sitting in Indonesia. But in order that's, to make, but in order to take that and put it into, pig a, iron yeah, exactly, version, right? Okay, so. so, so in order to take that and put it into a battery, yeah, you know, you're talking about a huge capex, and you're talking about the need for a double from here, most likely. Mm. Like so, so that's kind of the delta, mm. and and it's it's really interesting. What happened in the last nickel bull market was China came in, yeah, building like crazy, industrial revolution, right? Nickel gets bid up, and then this new technology came out which dramatically lowered the cost, right? And I think investors still feel the concern around that. And so what that's done, combined with the fact that HPAL, high mm -hmm. pressure acid leach, mm -hmm. has been one of the truly great ways to destroy value in mining. Uh, whether it's, you know, Goro, I think it might be six or seven billion, two billion intended, and Badavi, you know, mm -hmm. probably almost single-handedly put Sherit, you know, almost out of business, right? Like these HPAL cost overruns yeah. have been in the, you know, Two to five billion dollar range. So, so those overruns, and then the experience of of of, of creating a process to dramatically reduce costs in the mm. last cycle, has meant that almost no inflows have come into nickel in terms of building new production. Yeah, and so it's once again a constrained story, and 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 then you have to subdivide that market, and you say, you know, there's almost there's almost no production of any note that I can point you to right now. It's going to be class one nickel. Uh, 
in adding that million tons, it's going to come online in the next three to five years. Yes, interesting. We, we've seen a couple of reports. I mean, what are the sources that people can go to just to understand the nickel market can, a little bit I better? I mean, you can Google. You know, Benchmark has yeah. some great, uh, Benchmark Minerals has, has some great articles that are free. Right. Um, you know, obviously CRU is great, but I think that's paid. Yeah. That's right. uh, there's been some great analyst reports, Macquarie. Um, you know, uh, worth worth looking. Yeah, at. you can Google it. There, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of stuff out there. And they all they all seem to be, give or take, predicting you know quite significant growth. It's I really mean, and way, ways out, not just short term. The it, the long term for nickel does look very strong, especially as the cathode as, as the chemistries become more nickel rich. And by all accounts, that's how we're going. Mm. And and the other part, which is interesting for investors. And this was not a criticism of cobalt, but a realization is that you know there's a wide range of things you can buy. So you can buy Norilsk or mm. Western areas, mm. you know, larger cap companies. Mm. You could go buy a Turnigan, which is Giga, which is a nickel sulfide, huge, undeveloped, you know, 10, 15 million market cap, can easily be four or five hundred million in the mm. next cycle. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy something in between, like a nickel twenty-eight. And so you know, I think the ecosystem will be sufficiently large right. that it will be able to attract much more liquidity across the full spectrum of opportunity. Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, nickel twenty-eight. Okay. So we've had cobalt twenty-seven. We'll discuss the deal in a few weeks' time when you've, the circulars out. Uh, I've made my opinions public <laughs> on it already. Um, what's the again? What's the thought around what you're trying to build there with nickel twenty-eight? I mean. I'm going to assume Paula is going to be inv- is, is is involved. In I, I think I think well. I mean, there'll still be a shareholder for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think you know the the key the key assets in that company are really three. Mm. Uh, the first and most important asset, of course, is the Ramry Joint Venture. Yeah. You know this is probably the single best producing HPAL uh, facility ever created. Right. Right. It, it, it's it's operating above capacity. Right. Um, you know. It's almost guaranteed that your watch right there might have cobalt in it from this facility. It, right. it, it's going into all the, the batteries and automobiles. Major automobile makers sort of end up with this material. So this is a great asset. This okay. is a world-class asset. Mm-hmm. And it's run by a world-class operator. Um, and so I think, I think it's going to be our job to really tell that story to the market, mm-hmm. uh, Justin and I. Then you have a royalty over Turnigan. Mm-hmm. Turnigan is one of the largest undeveloped yeah. nickel sulfide deposits uh, it's a personal favorite. I mean, I've, I've bought uh, in the market, I think I'm probably own around four or five percent of it now, wow. personally, wow. Um, which is fully disclosed. And then there's Dumont. Yep. Uh, Dumont is shovel ready. Um, however, you know, it's owned by a private equity firm by and large. And, yep. and what their intentions are kind of not been made public as to what they're, what they're planning to do with it. So you kind of have these three assets. Which give you. But it's, a, it's a pretty big. I know we know it through RNC, RNC Minerals, yeah. obviously. Um, so we know a little bit about it. It's, it's a it's a world class asset in terms of scale. It's, it's a big capex, though, right? right? It's big big capex. So you know they've got a few things to work out. They've they've I think upgraded their DFS recently. Um, made an announcement on that that now people are looking for guidance as to what they're going to do next. Yeah, and that's why Turnigan is great because Turnigan's yeah. capex is more like a five hundred to six hundred million capex. Right. So you yeah. kind of have this spectrum. You've got earlier stage in Turnigan. Yeah. You've got. Dumont, which really needs to work out its capex. I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And then you've got production, and and, yeah. the, and the important okay. thing here is, you know, nickel is the primary on all of those, but every single one of them also has the potential or is a significant cobalt producer. Yeah, you, you see, that comes back to your strategy with cobalt twenty seven. It struck me when we spoke last, right? You know, you were trying to, you know, cover 
a bunch of bases. It's going to blend that risk profile. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing here again. Yeah, exactly. Right? And also, and also world class assets. I mean, if you yeah, if you look at that asset base, you know, I can really arguably only think about one or two other assets, mm. which by the way aren't even available that are that are out there for that portfolio. Yep. And so once again, when when people buy it, it's going to be an expression of not just the adoption of the electric vehicle, but also the transition in chemistries. Right. Uh, you know, you see, you see uh, CATL and some of the others really pushing this 811. Yeah. And so, and Valet has been a big kind of uh, proponent of this, uh, what's going to happen to the nickel market. And so I think as you see that shift, mm. uh, nickel will come into favor in a big way in the coming, in the coming, you know, I even think by later this year in terms of people's interests will come into flavor, but yeah. certainly in the coming years. Right. So people need to believe in the nickel story. They need to believe your model. This they need to believe in the EV story because this is really still driven by batteries. But there, there's, there's, okay, so let's talk about batteries for a second because again, you're, you're great at educating people on these things. So the, the battery story is evolving. Nickel's becoming a bigger pro pro proportion of that story. Um, you've got things like vanadium coming in for those longer storage um, batteries, you know, where they can take renewable energy and, and keep it for a little bit longer. So there's a there's a whole evolving universe around batteries. Yeah, there's a big spectrum, right? right? Yeah. There's a lot going on, and there's going to be new technologies as well. There, there, there always is. Yeah, things so, come up. Yeah, so the right? way I'll tell you how it looks today. So on the EV side, mm. definitively. I'm unaware of any of any major push outside of the lithium-ion battery. Yep. So that's electric vehicles. Yep. On the industrial side of electric vehicles, like auto buses and boats, and all well, planes. I was gonna say with with buses and yeah. potentially like trucks at mine sites. Yeah. Um, fuel cells are interesting because yeah. you're on a fixed route. Yeah. Okay. So infrastructure. Yeah. So there's that. Yep. And then if you shipped over to home use. Yep. Uh, lithium-ion battery is interesting for home use. But then you have all these other applications, like if you want to talk about renewable energy, yeah. the vanadium redox battery is intensely interesting because yeah. of its size, its uh, recyclability, Absolutely. And, and, and also well, its cycle length, right? That's fantastic. So, yeah, so what you're going to see inside of the, the storage market is, is a multi-segmented market. And so like, let's pretend that you're in a remote place of the Congo. Well, flying in lithium-ion batteries probably makes sense. Let's pretend you're a massive solar wind farm where you can drive a truck up to it. Yeah. Well, vanadium redox is probably going to make totally. sense. Totally. And by the way, through the cycle, as this this is really a transformation as it occurs, you're going to see things like the lead acid battery is going to have its place, and and there's going to be a zinc battery, and so and so and so there's going to be multiple. Well, the technology exists. There are multiple technologies that will mm. have multiple applications mm. across that grid storage. You know, for instance, if you go to a neighborhood where everyone's house is already built, it's like you probably put a solar roof on and a lithium ion battery. If you're building a new subdivision, you probably put a solar roof on, have a transformer, and then you have a vanadium redox battery. Yeah. And so, and so what you're going to see is unlike, unlike the electric vehicle, which is very well set for the next decade in terms of technology, mm -hmm. with, with these applications, you're going to have um, multiple technologies and I actually believe and I, I wish I knew how to monetize it but I actually believe that like in America every single person is going to be an energy trader and what I mean by that is I think over the next 20 years everyone's gonna have solar roofs mm. and and you're gonna be able to buy and sell energy credits because you're gonna have battery technology yeah. and, and you know people in Arizona are gonna be selling people in the Northeast or North, yeah. Northeast energy. There's, that, there's a little bit of that going on and or, we, we, we've had conversations with uh, 
traders here in, in Europe about trying to build up an ecosystem around that where they can they can trade across ba uh, borders. Well, as right well, now so. in, the, in the states, you can actually, yeah. depending on on the utility, you actually can sell. It's a two way meter, and yeah. you sell in and you draw out. Yeah. But I actually envision something very different where um, this technology is advancing so quickly that. You know, and maybe it'll come in the form of a token. Like I don't know what it'll look like, exactly. but, but we're all going to be exactly. If you if you own property, you're going to be buying and selling energy like as a, as a, like a personal trading thing. So yeah. I think that these are the evolutions that are going to go. But a key point on the vanadium redox battery and batteries more generally mm. is, and I don't know how close you're following this, but it's dramatically reducing Quite. the cost of green energy. And yep. the reason is because you know if if you um, you couldn't store the energy then you, there were times when you couldn't put it into the grid. Yeah. And so now with batteries, you're able to balance that out more. Yeah, smooth and, those curves. Exactly, sure. and push it into the night, and the, or draw from the night and put it into the day. You know, you're able to do different things. It's more, yeah, more constant stream. Exactly. Yeah. And that's very exciting. Actually, well, another complete opposite view of that yesterday put to me by someone um, was that a lot of this renewable energy is actually prolonging the life of fossil fuels in a way because there's so many different solutions out there which have their own you know, issues. I think this guy was referencing wind, for instance, or Is solar. this a uranium guy? He may have been a uranium <laughs> guy. You know, like, like, I, like, I, I said you were clever. I'll tell you, like, the uranium thing is interesting, but unfortunately for, mm. for folks, the problem with nuclear is, and it's totally irrational, because if you mm. look at the number of deaths in coal mines versus nuclear, oh, yeah. it's, it's not even sure, close, but, sure, but sure. people are emotional. And when something goes wrong at a nuclear power plant, it's mm. scary and it's a huge media event. But yeah. I, I agree with the premise that nuclear would be the cleanest form of energy. And yeah. maybe they're able to kind of figure out how to make it safer. Although they would argue it already is extremely safe. And, and factually, they would be they Yeah, would be correct. I, I would agree. It, it was kind of an interesting conversation because, you know, everyone talks about, you know, what's, what's happened in the Cold War and weapons and the fact that, you know, the difference between nuclear for power versus nuclear for weapons is, is such a significant difference in terms of the enrichment process. But um, they, the, yeah, it is a clean energy, zero carbon, I think they're pushing, not quite, but pretty much. Um, but the thing that people really can't answer the question on, including the uranium guys, is where do you store this safely? What do you do with the waste? Some people say you can prolong it a bit and you create, you create more energy out of the waste now with new technologies. They've got a much longer life reactors, but what do you do with the waste? You know, and I, I think I, that is the, the bottom line that needs to be answered for people to get comfortable I think don't they, don't they turn it to glass? I remember Classification, I grew, sure. I, 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 uh, I grew up in Concrete. the Northwest near the Hanford Nuclear Reservation, right. and they had a, a, a facility there. So There's a bit of that, but you know, people still, there's an education process that needs to kind of go on, but, but that's for the uranium guys to deal with, yeah, not, exactly. not, not, not us. But, but I would, would say that I, I kind of reject this idea that like, somehow this is positive for coal. I think it's a false narrative. Um, not, yeah, I'd agree. Not, not the numbers I've seen. That, that's, that's declining. Even if for a different reason, um, you know, look at the mandates of endowments and, and different investment yeah. pools in America. It's problematic, for sure. Yeah, like the, the, they're, they're saying, you know, you cannot invest in, in companies that, that invest in coal or, yeah. or you can't be more than a certain percentage. And so you know, on the one hand, that will create some opportunity for some hedge funds to give mm. a little bit of money. But the reality is that will hasten the decline. Uh, of coal companies mm. or the use of coal because it just you know won't be bankable. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, like a coal's not going away tomorrow, but you know we're in China all the time, and and what what, what I see in China is yeah. a real demand to clean up the air. 
Specifically right. the air quality, and, yeah. and this requires burning less carbon next to major cities. Well, they've also just created, I think, the world's largest, um, it's like a vacuum cleaner, which, which is a large sort of t um, tower which sort of sucks in and filtrates the air. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, fascinating. I mean, they are dealing with it, but one for another. Just very quickly before we wrap up, you said there, vanadium, fascinating, really interesting. How interesting? Interesting enough for nickel 28, or are we just a nickel company? No, it's just a nickel and cobalt, but um, I would say that the vanadium, uh, there's two things about vanadium. I think the technology is interesting. Mm. It's not been rolled out and commercialized in, in, a, in a kind of a broad scale yet. And I think you know, what will be interesting is to see what happens with vanadium price. And by the way, vanadium is similar to stability. cobalt. Yeah, exactly. The, the, yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's steel, and then there's there's two types of vanadium. Ninety percent and ten percent. Yeah, and so yeah. I think yeah. Um, yeah. before it gets commercialized in a large scale, I think people are gonna have to figure out if they feel comfortable around the pricing, and if they're able to get that material in large scale. Now, with cobalt, for instance, I will tell you yeah. that because um, cobalt is sitting at you know high thirteens now, low fourteens, there's almost no discussion. About, about substituting it out. I mean, it's mm. kind of, that, that, that conversation has died. Now, the transition in cathodes is still happening, but that's not being driven by cobalt pricing. Right. Uh, and so with any of these new technologies, lead, zinc, uh, one of the big factors would just be the luck of the draw on uh, what is the commodity price when it gets rolled out. Because now that lithium ion is, is dialed in and that nickel manganese cobalt yeah. chemistry is dialed in, yeah. you're kind of hostage, right? Yeah. But you're not hostage in those early days. And I, I kind of like harken back to VHS and Betamax. All right. Right? Okay. So, so Betamax, by all accounts, may it, well have been a better technology. Sure. And, and, and VHS won, right? But not as good at marketing. And, and by the way, yeah. the same thing happened with CD players. There was, I can't even think, yeah. what was the other... Um, there was a CD and DVDs. No, there was another competitor at the time with Blu-ray. Something, yeah, right. So, right. Yeah. So, so just because the technology is better doesn't necessarily mean it's the one that's adopted. Mm. And so I think in terms of some of these other uh, applications, in particular for the, the broader grid and, and those storage, I think there will be an element of luck about which. That's what you said at the beginning. It's yeah. timing, right? Yeah. And you can't control it. Like this whole industry, some of it won't work. Timing. Well, I mean, look, that, I mean, you can be really cynical about the mining business yeah. and say, like, as long as you're along anything, when the commodity price moves, like a high tide floats all boats. Every and, single expert quotes the, me that. And by the way, and by the way, you can be long the best in class of whatever it is. Yeah. And, and, when, and when that yeah. and when that thing halves, like the stock's going down. I, I think that's um, again the uranium guys. Yeah, the uranium right. Uranium guys. So, yeah. so uh, I, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know that you can get away from that. But, but what I would say is, obviously, that's why people own the equities because when. You know, hypothetically, when gold goes up five percent, the equities go up. You know, Silver is looking for a pop. Yeah, it's so. all correlated, but it's all timing as well. Like Anthony, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I really enjoyed. It. Now you promise you're going to come back and see us, or we're going to speak to you. Yeah, when, when the circular is out, out okay? we can't talk about the details. Because that's an exciting story. Yeah. I think it's an exciting story. I've told people what I think. I think um, it should be something people are looking at maybe between now and then. We can help them with some uh, find some information to them. Okay, cool. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.